0: On the outskirts of this town, there was this big old pecan tree, and it was near the cemetery fence. And one day, two boys filled up a bucket full of pecans, and uh, then they sat by the tree, near the tree, but they were just out of sight, and they began to divide up the nuts. One for you. One for me, one for you, one for me. And as they were counting out the nuts, several of the nuts accidentally dropped and they rolled near the fence, down by where the fence was. Just then there was this boy and he was riding by the cemetery on his bicycle. And as he passed, he thought he heard voices in the cemetery. So he slowed down just to check things out. And sure enough, he heard one for you. One for me, one for you, one for me. And the boy was certain he knew what was happening. Oh no, he shuddered. Satan and St. Peter are dividing the souls up in the cemetery. He jumped back onto his bike and he rode off and just as he got around the bend, there was an old man with a cane who was hobbling along and the boy said, come here quick. He said, you won't believe what's happening in the cemetery. Satan and St. Peter are dividing up the souls and the old man said, beat it kid, can't you see I'm an old man and I'm having trouble walking. But the little boy was, or the young boy was insistent and he finally convinced the old man and he hobbled to the cemetery. And standing by the fence together, they both heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And then the old man whispered to the boy, boy, you've been telling the truth. Let's see if we can see the old devil himself. Shaking with fear, they both peered through the fence, yet they were unable to see the devil. The old man and the boy, they gripped the wrought iron fence ironed tighter and tighter, trying to peer and trying to get a view of Satan. But at last they heard these words, one for you, one for me, and the last one for you. That's all. Now let's get those nuts by the fence. Then we will be finished. They actually say that the old man made it into town 10 minutes before the young boy on the bicycle. I don't know if that's true. It may or may not be. But this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're in the last section of Ephesians, and we're dealing with spiritual warfare. So I've entitled the message this morning, The Victorious Life, The Victorious Life. Lord, I just thank you for all who could make it out this morning. I never believe in accidents or coincidence. I believe everyone that you have here was intended to be here. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a powerful way now. That you would give us soft hearts to receive, ears to hear. Because I I believe this can be a very freeing word this morning. I ask, as always, that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And if the words I speak would truly be words, your words, words of life. So I just cry out now, Holy Spirit, come. Come and bring freedom. Bring freedom to this place. May people truly be set free, I ask this morning. And I'm asking for this in your precious name. Amen. Satan is very real. Demons, dark forces, dark powers are very real. And if you ignore this reality, you do it at your own peril. Last week, if you missed last week's message, please just go to the Bethlehem Community Church website. You can just click sermons and you can either watch it on podcast and uh, or you can watch it on video. But please. Do not miss that. And you can catch any of the Ephesians series, by the way, by doing that. So I want to start this morning off by looking at a passage we should all be familiar with. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through 5. Skip, can you put that up? We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, but not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us this morning that the real battle is not being fought in the Middle East. The real battle is not being fought in our towns and in even our cities, as divided as we are. The Apostle Paul tells us this morning that the real battle is being fought between our ears. The real battle is being fought in our minds. And Satan realizes the key to taking over this world and controlling this world is controlling the thoughts of every single individual person. Satan understands that if he can control your thinking, if he can control my thinking through lies, through false arguments, through strongholds, then he can control our behavior. Most people, by the way, live under Satan's yoke. In fact, I'm going to say this. I think Satan's deceptive powers are so great that the vast majority of people living do not even realize that they're slowly, very slowly being destroyed by his lies and his deception. And it's a tragedy to see it happening even in the church of Jesus Christ. God, though, has not left the believer defenseless. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Skip put that up. There it is. Therefore, he says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. I want to make it crystal clear that God expects us to live victoriously. God does not expect us to live in defeat. In fact, you know, it was interesting. You learn a lot by going to a survey. You find out what people think. And so we met these Christians. They go to a local church. I'm not going to say that. I was really speaking to the guy. And we were talking about Christianity and how we're to be living victoriously. Because oh, no, no, no. We, we sin. Everybody sins. We, 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 we should be, you know, everybody just sins all the time. I said, well, that's true of the world. They're under the yoke of Satan. But I said, if you're a born again believer, no, no, if you're a born again believer and, and, and you've been regenerated, I said, you've got the Holy Spirit and the new nature, you're to be living victoriously. You're not to be living in defeat. I said, that's a lie. That's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. And it's amazing how many lies. And I said, that's a very serious lie, by the way, that you're believing. Now, the Apostle Paul, I want to point out, he talks about a time of evil, a day of evil. Do you know what that time of evil is? That's the time, that's the day when Satan will come after you. Satan will attack you. That's the time of evil. And I just want to say that if you are a believer, and I'm speaking to believers here, because see, if you're not a believer, then you don't need to worry about Satan. He's already got control of you. And your life is slowly being destroyed. But if you're a believer, there are two times, two major times Satan will come at us. The first instance is this. The first instance is when something bad, something painful occurs in our life. For example, you lose your job. That can be a very painful thing, can it? If you lose your job, it can be an extremely painful thing. And in our pain and in our confusion, Satan then will come to us and he'll whisper to us and he'll say, See? See, God, he doesn't have your back. Look what's happened to you. Now look at the mess that you are in. Or he might say, when you lose your job, look at Fred. He's an atheist, man. He's an atheist. The guy just got a promotion, and you just got released from your job. And, you know, as painful as the circumstance is, Satan compounds that pain in our lives through lies. And he'll say something like this. He'll say to you, you know, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. You know, if God really loved you and cared about you, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen in your life. You can't trust God. God is not good. You ever heard things like that? Well, that's one instance that we are very, very open to satanic attack when we're in pain, and you need to be aware of that. The second instance, believe it or not, when we're very open to satanic attack is when things are going well. Did you know that? When things are going well. Skip, can you put up the chart? There you see the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. Now, when I was in seminary, we had to actually chart out all 66 books like this. And you say, well, why would you have to do that? Because by charting it out, you catch the flow of a book. You catch the proge- progression of a book. And I want you to know the progression of 2 Samuel. This is about the life of David. Notice in chapter 1, all the way up to chapter 11. So for the first 10 chapters, look at David. He's on top of the world. Political triumphs, spiritual triumphs, military triumphs. Everything's going his way. I mean, things are going swimmingly in his life. But that's not always a good place to be, by the way. You know why? Because it makes you complacent. It makes me complacent. Uh, and in fact, we see in Second Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1 this. Skip, can you put that up? In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelites Army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, notice that however, however David stayed behind in Jerusalem. The clear inference is the will of God for David's life as he should have been with his army in the spring of the year. But see, David was fat, dumb, and happy. You ever been fat, dumb, and happy? Everything's going in his wife. He became life, everything, he became apathetic. And I'll tell you, that's a very, very dangerous to be when you're fat, dumb, and happy. And so he tells Joab, the commander of his army, you go handle it. I'm going to take it easy in Jerusalem. And so look what happens to David. Can you put up verses 2 and 3 now, Skip? of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, is there anyone here is there anyone here that thinks it's a coincidence that in the afternoon of that day that Bathsheba had to be naked on her roof taking a bath while David was taking a stroll on the palace roof, which would have been higher, and, and he's looking down and he sees this naked Bathsheba taking a bath. Anybody think that was just coincidence that just happened? If you do, by the way, can you come up here and see me after because i got some wonderful swampland in Florida I would love to sell you if you think that just happened. I guarantee you it didn't just happen. And you know what happened? We know the story. David looked at Bathsheba. David lusted after Bathsheba. And then David looted Bathsheba. See, that's kind of how it works. Look, lust, loot. And you are in big, big trouble. Now, Skip, can you put up the chart again? Because I want you to see what happens in the chart. Everything's going fabulous in David's life, chapters 1 through 10, 11, he sins. He sins. He sins by committing adultery with Bathsheba and ostensibly killing her husband Uriah. Notice what happens from 12 on to the rest of the book. So you have an arrow going up, chapters 1 through 10, then you have chapter 11, and then chapters 12 through 24, the arrow goes down. Trouble in his house, trouble in the kingdom. If you think you can sin, no, no, if you think you can sin and get away with it and there's no consequences, you are kidding yourself. Please see, this is the man after God's own heart. Yes, David was forgiven. David was forgiven, but there are still consequences. There are still temporal consequences to sin. I want you to think twice about this. This is a tragedy. This is a great man of God. But he makes a very bad mistake. And it's a costly mistake. And the rest of his life was really painful for him. So I want you to realize Satan is alive and well. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said this. Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and to and destroy. And you make just a major, major mistake if you underrate Satan and his ability to deceive you and to destroy you. All right, I want to move on now to God's protection, supernatural armor for the believer. So, Skip, can you put up Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16? And we're told this Ephesians chapter 6, coming up, got it, 14, there it is. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. If you look at all of Ephesians 6, 14, and verses 10 through 12, you see that Paul is clearly drawing on the imagery of a Roman soldier. He's drawing on the imagery of a Roman soldier. So, Skip, can you put up the picture? You were probably expecting someone a little more macho. (laughs) A little more manly, maybe Spartacus. That is scrawny Ronnie, the Roman wannabe. I want you to note, though, Scrawny Ronnie does have a belt. The first piece of armor is the Battle of Truth. By the way, the belt for the Roman soldier was extremely, extremely important. Let me just see if I can give you a feel for it. Most of us know, have seen a construction worker, right? Or you've seen a carpenter, and they have a tool belt. A tool belt is extremely important. Skip, can you put that Uh, picture up. It's extremely important for them. It carries their tools. In fact, if you are a carpenter or a construction worker, you are nothing without your tool belt. Well, the Roman soldier, by the way, was nothing without his belt. You say, well, why was the Roman soldier's belt so important? Because the Roman soldier generally wore a long tunic. But in battle, what he would do is he would take the tunic that was hanging down by his feet and he would hike it up. He would gird it up. He would tuck it into his belt so that he could go running into battle so that he could maneuver. Also, the belt was important because it carried his long sword as well as his dagger. So you might say that the... Belt gave the Roman soldier a tremendous sense of stability because it held the things in place. It virtually held his equipment all in place. So it was extremely important in terms of his stability. And I find it incredibly intriguing that the Apostle Paul says that what gives the believer stability against Satan is truth. You know why? It gives you incredible stability against satan truth because satan's major weapon is the lie satan's major weapon is a lie against you and against me in fact jesus said in john chapter eight and verse 44 this for you are the children of your father and he's speaking now he's speaking out of the pharisees and the sadducees can you believe this you are the father of the devil And you love to do evil things that he does. See, this is true of natural man. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Truth is like kryptonite to Satan. Truth is like kryptonite to Satan. I mean, it renders him like a piece of jello. He is completely defenseless against the truth. That is why the truth is so absolutely important in the believer's life. In fact, you know, the Apostle John, who was the beloved disciple, and he wrote this to some believers in Asia Minor. This is his second letter. It says this in Second John, verses 1 through 4. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth And love, how happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. Do you know what the, you see truth in there, time and time again, it's four short verses. Do you know what the bookends of life are? Truth and love. Truth and love. Those are the two bookends of life. And by the way, the order is very significant. It's first truth. And then it's love. And see, when I walk in truth, then I will genuinely know what love is. Love is not oceans of emotions. It's not an ooey, gooey kind of feeling. Love is very objective. And In fact, you can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love is not rude. It does not boast. It is not envious. It is not self-seeking. See, these are the things that true love is. And it's important that you and I walk in truth and understand truth because when you are able to walk in truth, then you can genuinely walk in love. You know, near the end of Jesus' life, he stood before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Skip, can you put that picture up? Most of you will remember that scene. It's a memorable scene, and they had a conversation, and Jesus befuddled Pontius Pilate. And at one point, Pilate said those words from time immemorial. He said to Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? How would you answer that question? What is truth? You know, there were three umpires, and these umpires were meeting at a restaurant, and they were discussing what makes a ball a ball, and what makes a strike a ball, A strike. And the first umpire said, Some's balls and some strikes, and I calls them as I see them. Another umpire said, The second umpire said, Some's balls and some strikes, and I calls them as they is. And the third umpire said, Some's balls and some strikes, and they ain't nothing till I calls them. And, you know, I kind of got a charge out of that, but then I thought about the implications of that, and I said, you know, that third umpire represents. The third umpire represents the American culture, and it's so tragic because it's tragic because the vast majority of us, think about it, we make decisions. We we have our own reality, and it's not based in absolute truth. In other words, our decision-making is based upon how we feel based upon what we think, but it's not based in absolute truth. So, for example, if I think, if I feel that going to Dunkin' Donuts and having six donuts a day will help me lose weight, then it's going to help me lose weight, right? Well, I feel that. I mean, who are you to be so judgmental? How narrow of you to tell me that having six donuts a day isn't going to help me to lose weight. Isn't it true that all foods you eat lead to health? I thought all religions lead to God, right? Well, that's how stupid that is. I think all foods, especially donuts, lead to having a healthy life. No, no, you know, we, 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 we kind of laugh at this, but it, it's really serious. I mean, we, we've gotten really crazy. Like, for example, maybe I'll wake up one day and I feel like I'm a woman. Now, don't let your eyes deceive you thinking that I'm a man. I'm really a woman. And I feel like a woman. Or, or maybe I feel like i 'm a Native american Indian yeah i 'm I'm, I'm a Native American. Who are you to tell me who are you to that 's where we are right? Who are you to judge and tell me that i 'm not a Native American Indian right? And folks, do you understand what is happening to this country? We are literally imploding. this country is so very, very much. In trouble because we don't understand the importance of moving and living in absolute truth. And this sets you up for deception. No, no, this is where we are. This is where this country is right now. We're living in deception and you're watching us implode. I want you to know this morning there is a thing called truth. There is a thing called truth. Do you know what truth is? Truth is the standard by which everything else must be conformed to. Truth is the standard by which everything else must conform to. What is it that everything must be conformed to in the universe? Have you ever thought about it? What is it? What is the standard that everything in the universe must be conformed to? And the answer is in John fourteen six. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way. Not a way. I am the way. Then he said, I am the truth. Not a truth. He said, I am the truth. And because Jesus is the way and the truth, he can give you life. No, Jesus can give you life. Do you realize that everything in the universe, everything in the universe must conform to Jesus Christ? He is the absolute truth. You know, there was this pastor and and his wife, and they were visiting London. Skip, can you put up the picture? And they were uh, passing Westminster Palace, and there you see Big Ben. And he said, you know, as he got to Big Ben, he noticed that people would look down. And then they would look up. And I mean, he noticed this happened time and time again. People would look down. They would make an adjustment to the wristwatch. And then they would look up again. And as it turned out, what people were doing is they were all adjusting their timepieces to England's timepiece, Big Ben. And then the pastor said this. Listen to what he said. While I was in London, I never saw anyone approach the guard saying... Whoever's in charge of Big Ben needs to adjust Big Ben's clock because Big Ben is running five minutes slow. Everyone in England knows that would be ridiculous, he said, because all time pieces must be adjusted to match the true time as determined by Big Ben. You see, Big Ben doesn't care about anyone's watch. Big Ben doesn't care how anybody else feels about his or her watch. Big Ben doesn't even care if a lot of people prefer a certain kind of watch or have the same time that's on each other's watch. Big Ben is not impressed by how much money someone spent on their watch, and Big Ben does not take polls to find out what everyone else's watch has to say. Big Ben is always right when it comes to time, and everyone else is supposed to adjust to Big Ben. And if you haven't figured it out, Jesus Christ is Big Ben. Everything in the universe must conform to the standard of the universe. The standard of the universe is Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, he is the one who gives all of the laws that we know? He determined every single law that we know. For example, he determined the law of mathematics. He determined the law of physics. He determined the laws of chemistry and the laws of biology, the laws of morality. And yes, there are laws of morality. There is a right and there is a wrong. He determined the laws of right values and wrong values. And yes, there are right values and there are wrong values. Did you even know that Jesus determined the law of buying? Did you know that there's a law of buying? Some of you are going, really? Yeah, there is, you, you can check it out in the scripture, but I'll, I'll give it to you like this. You know, Susan, every once in a while, she'll say to me, you know, honey, I, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go buy a shirt. And I'll say, what for? You got a hundred of them in the closet. And then she'll go, <laughs> I have a coupon. I got a coupon and I get 25% off. I said, really? You know what? You, you know how you can save a lot more money than that? By not buying anything. And then then I'll put the guilt trip on, and I'll give you the law. I'll say, honey, do you really need that shirt? If you go out and buy that shirt, are you buying that shirt for the glory of God? Oh, see, 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 that's how far away we're from a biblical worldview. Everything, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Sorry, if that falls under it. Now you may be saying, well, you're playing hardball and you're probably sleeping on the couch. and That could be true, but that's got nothing to do with it. That's got nothing to do with moving in truth. And I, no, if she were here, she's doing the kids right now, but if she were here right now, she would tell you, I would say, honey, really? I said, it's not my money, it's not your money. No, no, it's not my, I don't care whether you tithe 10%, by the way. That's a joke that these pastors pawn off on you so they can fleece you. So then you can feel good about the other 90%. Ding, thanks for playing. Wrong-o. God owns everything. Everything. You will give an accounting, I will give an accounting for everything. Time, money. So here's the question. Here's the law of buying. Whatever you're going to buy, whatever you're going to buy, is it a tool To advance Jesus' kingdom and his glory? Or is it an idol so that it can bring you glory? Look at me. That's a bad path to go down. Very bad path to go down. Well, you know, we're out of time. We could have a lot more fun this morning, but I could see you're having too much fun. Now, Now that we're all sufficiently convicted, let's move to the challenge. The challenge is this. It's very simple. Do not live in deception. Do not live in deception. You see, there is your truth. There is my truth. There is the world's truth. There is Satan's truth. And then there's absolute truth. Absolute truth is God's truth. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. It's the difference between living in the light Versus living in the darkness. It's the difference between living in freedom and living in bondage. It is the difference between living in victory and living in defeat. And my prayer. No, you don't know how often I pray. My prayer is that this church, every single one of us lives in victory. And that we're a light whether it's in our house, in our neighborhood, or in our places of work. Father. This first piece of equipment, truth, is so important. And we play with it fast and loose as if it's something that we can determine. Well, I have my truth, and you have your truth. And that comes from the pit of hell. There is only one truth, and that is the truth in Jesus Christ. I pray as we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, you'll begin to convict us of where we've really begun to fudge on that we fudge on the truth and we wonder why our lives may be in disarray. Maybe our family's falling apart. Maybe, maybe our job isn't going well. Maybe our relationships aren't well. And if we look very closely, we'll find out more often than not, it's because one or both parties are not moving in truth. Satan has such free access into our lives because we're not moving in truth. And therefore he's able to play havoc in our own families. I pray today, today we make the decision. Today I'm going to start moving in truth. No matter what the cost. Jesus says the road is narrow. Very narrow that leads to life. And it's narrow because truth is narrow. And the broad road that leads to hell is broad. Because... There's all kinds of false ways that we can take. The path to hell is strewn with good intentions, but it's not strewn with people who are walking in truth. My prayer is is that we will begin to make a decision to dedicate our lives to walk in truth. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.